You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today we're speaking with a serial entrepreneur who's had a hand in steering his family's company from newspapers and radio and onto spirits and healthcare, as well as promoting the many advantages of Quebec, its people, and businesses. We also chat with a medical doctor turned alternative investment professional who's had a global view of both public and private markets in North America and globally, first in their respective specialties as they evolve over their careers, and seeing things from a unique perspective. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. Today is Tuesday, May 12th, and I'm James Brown with CASA, and this is Alternative Thinking. Today we have Philippe de Gaspé-Bobien III from T-Corp and La Fondation de Gaspé-Bobien, and Rahul Kazgawali with Aviva Investors. Uh, we'll start with self-introductions. We'll start with you, Philippe. Uh, hi. Uh, well, thank you for having me on board. Um, just to give you a little bit of a background, uh, my family's been uh, in Quebec and in Canada for the last 400 years, and we've done everything from uh, lumber to real estate to uh, beer, and in the last uh, 60 years have been focusing mostly on communications and telecom. So we started uh, uh, largest radio broadcasters in Canada, uh, was involved in, uh, we were the largest magazine publishers, and then got involved in cellular telephone, and then satellite um, both of those, uh, we've exited all of those, which I'm uh, pleased to say, because it was not an easy process just because our family has a tendency to want to build things. And mm. the, the rule of the, of the game is to transition to the next fam- uh, to next generation. And so what we've done mm. is um, we focused on trying to find great new initiatives and my family um, my father uh, it was of the old school and uh, uh, when we sold the magazines it wasn't so bad because his real love was radio and he had grown up in radio and actually uh, it was interesting that the uh, the Demarais were on before because my father actually started because he ran Expo 67 and uh, that did very well and then ended up working with That's Power right. Corporation with the Demarais and the Demarais were buying newspapers at the time and every newspaper mm-hmm. owned a radio station. And so to, um, mm-hmm. uh, but the CRTC, which is the FCC uh, for Canada, was saying, whoa, 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 too much concentration of ownership. And that's how we ended up changing over from we beer and all that stuff into radio. And that became our start uh, on the new telecommunications front. And then from there, we got into magazines and things were going very, very well. Um, until we also ended up into sports, and we were the largest shareholders in the Expos, uh, oh, wow. which was the baseball, and we had all the broadcasting rights for all the teams across Canada. And then, I don't know if you remember, a long time ago, but uh, both hockey and baseball go on strike at the same time. When we both go on strike, we, were, we had a public company that owned the radio and the magazines, and that's when we were hemorrhaging money like crazy. And things didn't come back as fast because consumers were using other vehicles to entertain themselves. So that's when I came, my background was in, I was in merchant banking for the family in New York and mm-hmm. came back to Canada with an American perspective and actually fell in love um, with the whole 
opportunity in Canada. And looking at it from a New York perspective, Canada is going through what the Americas went through, I'd say, about 40 years ago. What I mean by that is a lot of families are transitioning and a lot of families don't. The next generation doesn't want to pick up the ball. So they want to sell. And so there's a liquidity event happening. A lot of people are exiting and there's a huge transition about to happen and it's happening as we speak and uh, then privatized the public company restructured it went on a binge uh, buying radio stations and so went from 21 radio stations to 84 we're going for 150 so what we suddenly saw our values and we were buying radio stations at seven eight times multiple EBITDA in 2001 2002 the, the values started to go to uh, 15 times, um, which were ridiculous for old stations. So I asked the question, what are we worth? They said 22 times. I said, that's insane. Um, so we exited, which was probably the most difficult discussion I've ever had with my father. 15 years later, you look back and radio is now training at four. So we went through that and the, the market started to recognize it and said, wow, so what, what are you doing next? Yeah, I'd like to know too. <laughs> It's very simple. We're living the greatest revolution in the history of the world in this period of 30 years. Uh, in terms of what's happening is everything's compressed. So what would take 200 years for a transition over is now happening in, and I'm now arguing it's gone from 200 years to 100 to 50 to, uh, to 25, and now it's happening every three years. And so what, what does that mean? Well, what we look at is three things. One, that it's a revolutionary change, something technology or an innovation or a trend that is happening that nobody's paying attention to. Two, that um, it has, it must, all right, because this is the big difference that we have versus uh, previous generations. We are now on the global stage. What that means is that we can reach out to anybody, whether it's in Africa or South America or China. And so our products, whatever they are, have to be able to be sold anywhere. And the last one is it must have the opportunity of being a $500 million company. doesn't necessarily it's going to make there because, as you know, most 95% of most companies don't make it um, to the end. So what are we doing with that? One, alcohol. The thing that's happening here is it's very much what the business of beer happened 15 years ago, where microbreweries started to explode. And even though the beer industry as a whole is growing like crazy, the major players were watching their market share starting to plateau, if not drop. And microbreweries were coming in and taking over. The same thing is happening in the spirits. There's a Quebec-based vodka company that's won five times best vodka in the world and has won 68 medals around the world. And nobody knows about it because it was only sold in Quebec. So we get involved with this thing. We're now in eight countries. We'll be in 15 countries around the world. And this is exploding. And what's interesting as well is that out of the effluent, the, you know, the, the stuff that comes out on the side is a hand sanitizer, which, you know, we were throwing out. Uh, well, guess what? We've been using this thing and we're now manufacturing it and now selling it to major corporations across Canada. Yeah, that's good. Let's hear from Rahul, and because uh, he's been around the world trying to find arbitrages as well, but a bit more in the, the corporate setting with Aviva there. So uh, let's uh, let's hear your background and kind of what, what you've been doing at Aviva there, Rahul. Yeah, thank, thanks very much, James. Uh, so just 
just maybe by way of introduction, I'm, I'm the investment director for Liquid Markets uh, for the Americas. <clears throat> In simplistic terms, what that means is my role is to message and articulate our investment strategies to institutional clients across the Americas. So that obviously includes pension funds, endowments and foundations, um, and also um, investment consultants. I'd say um, in terms of areas of focus, in, in terms of investing, um, I focus on global macro mm -hmm. and also more traditional capabilities like Canadian fixed income. In terms of my background, uh, that includes uh, about 20 years of experience now across uh, asset management in four different countries, including uh, the UK, oh. uh, spent some time in Switzerland, and also um, a few years in, in the Middle East. Uh, I've been in Canada now for 12 years, um, where my focus has been mm -hmm. mostly on the global macro and multi-asset side. And uh, in terms of uh, a fun fact, um, prior to uh, uh, my career in finance, I was a medical doctor in the UK, um, and I actually trained from uh, from Nottingham University, good old uh, Robin O'Sherwood territory, um, and, and actually made the transition into finance in, in 2001. Uh, in terms of... Now, now, why would you do that, though? Why would, what would prompt you to leave the life-saving medical field to go into the uh, the hurly-burly finance area? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I that's probably the, the question I've been asked most uh, throughout the last 20 years. Uh, well, I, I, a couple of things. Um, I, I would say, uh, you know, certainly growing up, uh, I, I grew up in a, in a family of medicine. And, you know, without a doubt, that was that was where I wanted to focus on my, my future. I think, um, however, the the reality of of studying and the academic side of medicine is is very different mm. to to the practical realities of of working on a ward and 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 sort of the the daily hustle and bustle of medical life. So, back in the early two thousand period, I, I would say the National Health Service in the UK was going through a particularly uh, low period. Um, in general, mm. I think medics at that time were of low morale, you know, working hours were crazy. I remember uh, walking around for five or six days, uh, sometimes without any sleep. Um, and in general, there was there was a bit of a bottleneck in terms of uh, career progression after a certain point. So it actually wasn't uncommon mm. at that time for for quite a lot of medics actually to think about a career change and 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 maybe try something something different. And, and for me in particular, um, <clears throat> when I was at university, I was, I was running the finance club at Nottingham uh, with, with the medical students, and that got, got me right. some exposure to investing. So um, I, I sort of made the call early on uh, to, to, to just sort of uh, maybe skip the interrailing uh, thing around Europe, which a lot of medics do for a year's break, but instead try working in a bank and, and see how I found that. And, and I haven't looked back since. Yeah, you saw it was only 14 hours a day, so it seemed pretty easy. <laughs> exactly. Um, maybe just uh, a minute on the company as well. <clears throat> uh, so uh, just just uh, for those that aren't familiar, Aviva Investors. So we're, we're actually the asset manager of of the parent group Aviva PLC, uh, which has a heritage that goes back um, actually 300 years 
old and it's headquartered in the UK. Although we're a relatively small asset manager in Canada, we are managing around $600 billion globally across a whole bunch of stuff, hmm. credit, equities, multi-asset, real assets, uh, solutions. But I'd say the, the key point I'd, I'd get across in terms of our, our sort of focus and differentiator, and this, this comes from our, our CEO, Ewan Monroe, is really to try and provide what I'd say are outcome-orientated solutions for clients. So really trying to find products, investments, solutions to meet specific client needs. So that could be um, you know, beating inflation, achieving a specific target return, matching liabilities, um, and, and so forth. And I'd, I'd also stress um, the mm. longstanding heritage in responsible investing. And I think that's obviously a really key theme uh, globally. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, so 300 years old. And then we have Philippe with a 400-year-old uh, uh, family tree. And gee, we came in Canada about 150 years ago. And I thought I thought we were older. <laughs> Our family actually has a lumber company in Saskatoon, but we haven't parlayed it into a telecommunications empire. But uh, um, that's interesting with the responsible investing. So how uh, how does Aviva look at responsible investing? Is it the normal kind of ESG, or is it more impact? Is it on the private side? Is it on the public side? What's the uh, what's kind of the the, the focus there? Yeah, no, no, it's 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 a really important theme, and um, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I would start by maybe saying that uh, Aviva investors, you know, we do have a, a long-standing heritage with that. So we we were one of the um, the founding signatories to the the UNPRN, um, and 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 really, I think um, <clears throat> you know, the the focus um, initially maybe was on uh, you know what what you sort of classify as looking at sort of the negative screening criteria and trying to identify industries maybe that were, um, you, you know, regarded by some investors as, as sort of negative to society and so forth. But really, mm -hmm. I think ESG investing and responsible investing has moved on uh, quite seismically since since then. And, and, and now as we look at, at sort of the responsible investing arena, um, it's really more about engaging with with, with companies and and really working with them to try and and, and you know build a, a better society and, and build better investments. So we are extremely active as as a shareholder in in the companies that we invest in, and and, and when we look to build our investment portfolios, um, we are often looking for. Um, ESG criteria in the various uh, securities um, and sectors that, that we invest in to, to really try and see how a good analysis of those areas can look to add long-term value um, in, in portfolios and to investors. So it's really, if you like, building in additional lenses to the typical fundamental work that you might do when looking at a company or a sector um, and, and again, just trying to find some some long-term value for investors. Yeah, it seems like it's not even so much that it's required by law, but it's it's something that pension funds just, uh, so many that we've had at our conference has just said, this is how we're doing things. Like we're not sitting around just making money. We have to make sure that it's good for all the stakeholders. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a kind of lost a bit of the, the luster over the, the COVID crisis here, but I know that it's... Uh, it's definitely something that that's on people's minds more and more. 
Uh, how about yours, uh, Philippe? You mentioned coach here in alcohol, which includes which includes uh, you know the actual spirits, but then you have the hand sanitizer. So uh, that was a nice add-on, being able to help society with that. Are there any other types of investments that you have that have uh, nice uh, externalities like that? So one of the ones we do have that I'm also very excited about is um, we create what is called uh, bionic ears. And uh, um, one of the biggest things that blows my mind is that everybody worries about their vision, their teeth. I mean, if you have kids, um, there's a huge... Uh, you know, concern about everything about them, except that nobody's paying attention to their hearing. And you know that 20% hmm. of uh, hearing loss will occur before they hit 20 uh, because of the iPods and blowing it out of the ears and all the rest. It's a huge thing. And here's another big data point. Um, the biggest lawsuits in the world used to be, you know, on asbestos and cigarettes and stuff. Well, I'm giving you a heads up right now the biggest lawsuits in the next 20 years are going from hearing loss at the industrial and commercial sites. Um, Rio Tinto has admitted to me that all their uh, lawsuits put together from accidents and everything else don't hold a candle to what they're getting in terms of hearing loss uh, lawsuits. So with that, um, I found the company, and again, another trend that I'm seeing is public companies that are lost, you know, fallen angels. And finding companies that have great technology, but for some reason people have, you know, not paid attention to it. So privatized the company in uh, that was on the TSX and restructured it. Partnered up with a university here in Quebec called ETS that nobody knows about, uh, and blows my mind. But ETS, yeah. I well never heard of it. It's the second largest engineering university after Waterloo. It will be number one in the next five years and nobody's paying attention to it. So I've already given about uh, four chairs to that university, and I'll probably give um, another 20 um, in terms because they are focused on innovation, technology, and, uh, and entrepreneurship. So, and that's one of our foundations. Our key thing is entrepreneurship, and we think that's going to be saving the world, not uh, large corporations, you know, like Ford putting a new plant in. So what we did with them mm-hmm. is we developed a site um, a research center that and government has sponsored it and helping us a lot on that, which is great uh, to address the issues of hearing. So what we did from that is create uh, a bionic ear. And what that means is that you put this in your ear. One, it protects you from loud sounds. Great. Two, but this is more like a Japanese uh, Chinese menu in the sense that secondly, we have microphones inside the ear so you can speak and explosions are going off or, you know, massive noise, hurricanes, whatever, and people can hear and talk to you without having any interference. Uh, and we, and the, oh, wow. that'd be good for diving, wouldn't it? For everything. And we have AI in it. So it's interpreting, uh, you know, exactly what you're saying. So there's no issue. Third, through the ear, we're able to monitor your heart rate, your respiration, your breathing. Um, so, for COVID, you may or may not know, mm-hmm. but you know most people die of pneumonia because of COVID, and it's because of the respiration. But because COVID is literally such a problem, because it's created the lungs are more flexible, so you're able to talk almost until you get to the thirty percent range of, and that's when you get oxygen starvation. We can pick that up way at the beginning before it becomes a problem. We're able to then also monitor, you know, for old people if they fall down. We know if you've fallen down, the AI picks it up immediately and then contacts you. If you don't respond in 10 seconds, we can triangulate your position and send help. 
We've just closed a deal with 3M to distribute this to 100 countries around the world. Um, we are working with the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic. Another thing that a lot of people don't know, MRI devices. is a, uh, If you've ever been in one, it's like a coffin, and some people have to be there for two hours. Yeah. And there is no, because it's a high magnetic pulse uh, environment, you can't have ferrous or, or metal in it. Our device right. can work in those types of environments. So for industrial grade, mining, uh, uh, you know, sort of old people's homes. We'll know if you've taken your drugs or you've fallen down or you've broken a bone sort of thing. And so that means effectiveness of service, huge and less people because AI uh, and monitoring helps a lot. So, and this is all out of Montreal um, and a group that, uh, I mean, I'm blown away by. So we think this is going to be phenomenal. And again, it's an, it's an area that not a lot of people are paying attention to yet. That's the type of stuff that I get very, very, very excited about. Well, that's so. pretty cool. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm usually, I'm in, in normal times, I'm in Montreal about 15 odd times a year. And it's, uh, it's a hub well, for innovation and people always doing kind of different stuff. And you're like, wow, I never even thought about that. Uh, but nobody's paying attention to it. This is what blows my mind is that I talk to CEOs from all over the world. And I mean, one, I was talking to a friend of mine who's building hotels across Canada and the United States. And he was building one in Vancouver, one in uh, Calgary, then Toronto. And then he took a plane and jumped over Quebec and went to the Maritimes. I mean, and I go, the, the amount of education and infrastructure and I mean, and people don't realize Montreal was the center of Canada until, you know, uh, 1976. And then, I mean, as my dad was saying to me, when he ran Expo 67, which was the most successful fair, you know, uh, World's Fair, I mean, they expected 5 million people. They ended up getting 55 million. That was the apogee of Quebec. And then 10 years later, we have a separatist government come in and the politics yeah, just flicked things up and suddenly everything moves to Toronto. And Quebec was forgotten. We have more universities than any other place except uh, Boston. Hmm. Yeah, whenever I'm there, they're like, oh, you, everybody in Toronto has a lot of like, opportunities and everything. But people in Toronto say, well, Quebec has, you guys have your special system and you have the pension exactly. funds that help so everybody. And then actually, we did a, a, a series of events on uh, for, for startup managers, emerging managers. It was based on a book uh, called Mexicans Don't Drink Molson. Like, why are we drinking Heineken and Corona? Well, that's probably not the best thing to say now. Uh, you know, in Canada, when we could be exporting Molson to everywhere. But uh, now those are interesting, like these these trends and how you're capitalizing on it. Uh, how about how about from your side, uh, Rahul? Where, where are you seeing, like, on the on the global uh, opportunities and trends? And and is there anything um, like specifically that you're that you're seeing ways that people are capitalizing on it, or is there a type of strategies or managers i was on the call this morning and people were saying that of course it was distressed and and dislocation funds coming out now but uh but what, what are you seeing from your lens let me try and answer that from a from a global macro perspective mm. and and just as a, a as a reminder maybe um in a you know in, in terms of global macro investing essentially what you're trying to do is generate <clears throat> positive returns for for investors with with around half the volatility of, of equity markets, and importantly have a have a focus on on capital preservation, so it's it's important to 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 effectively build a portfolio with some strong return drivers, which could be uh, 
more market beta type strategies or, or could it in fact be opportunistic mm-hmm. um, but balancing that off with uh, with sort of risk risk reducing ideas as well so in terms of the the opportunities that that we're seeing right now and we are still I would say very um, sort of cautious and, and certainly thinking about capital preservation given given the outlook um, uh, with with the recent pandemic and and more broadly with with the potential recession, um, our, our focus is really at looking at relative value ideas within an investment context. So these these ideas, you know, are typically less dependent on the macro environment, but typically driven by specific catalysts or or opportunistic pricing. So just to give you maybe some very quick examples. Um, I mean, uh, we, we mentioned uh, the telecoms earlier. Um, you know, one of our ideas is uh, focused around uh, a basket of stocks that we think could could benefit from uh, 5G. So the idea there is that the move from 4G to 5G is likely to result in an acceleration in, in smartphone uh, refresh mm-hmm. rate. So basically returning the smartphone market back to growth. And with that, we should see more innovation, for example, um, you know, 3D sensing technology and, and so forth. So we, we think that um, <clears throat> suppliers exposed to this uh, potential positive change right now are, are perceived to be sort of highly cyclical, lower quality businesses with customer concentration risk, and um, a link, I would say, to recent underwhelming smartphone unit growth. So we think, you know, as a result of that, um, they are undervalued uh, for this particular opportunity. Mm-hmm. Another uh, theme that we uh, that we have, and this links back to the ESG discussion that you picked on earlier, is around uh, building efficiency. So this is a theme where, um, again, we have a basket of stocks focused on building efficiency. And what that means is focusing on companies that include um, LED lighting companies, uh, HVAC businesses, uh, potentially building material companies with exposure to insulation. Uh, we have electronic locks and, and basically companies oh. with structural growth themes as a leader in energy management and industrial automation. So we, we think, you know, the, the, this is a really key theme uh, globally um, that is less dependent on, on the macro environment. And uh, maybe just to end with, you know, some, some other relative value ideas that we're looking at um, include um, having an exposure to uh, stocks in the small cap space that have so-called stronger balance sheets um, relative to, say, the Russell 2000 as a broad index. Um, again, the, the, these types of strategies we find can, can add value and uh, will be less sort of focused on, on, on market volatility and, and you know, the potential uh, risk scenarios that lie in front of us. Right. Yeah, I've been hearing more about this 5G. So it seems like it's a it's a real big deal. Like, well, not just like two to three, three to four, four to five seems like the leapfrog. What's uh, what's the difference between the 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 fourth generation and the fifth? Yeah, I mean, very quickly, I think the you know the the move from four G to five G, it it will increase uh, content per phone uh, for radio frequency or RF components. Mm. 
um, and also sort of the the, the multi-layer ceramic capacitors or um, MLCCs. Hmm. Um, so I don't I don't want to get too technical, but uh, I, I don't know. Philippe probably has uh, has some good context on that as well. For me, I, I believe things are changing so fast that you move on to uh, new technologies. It's like owning the last buggy whip company. Great, but I mean, you might make some money off it, but mm. you're always losing market share and you're always, you know, in a down market. I'd rather be in an up market. And I agree that uh, Raul on the 5G, one of the biggest things that's going to change is machine to machine communications. So what 5g is going to uh, allow is Hmm. that so suddenly you're going to have i would say a thousand times more communication uh if not a million times i mean it's it's a quantum change i mean because (laughs) it's machines literally talking to other machines on a constant basis i mean your your um refrigerator telling uh, you know the shopping network that they need more milk and uh, more product and you don't you're not even aware of it or you're driving your car and there's the communications to your garage um, that, you know, your filters needs uh, replacing. I mean, these are the types of things that are about to explode and are exploding, and we haven't begun to uh, get involved with that. The, the one I can tell you that I, I missed, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad about that, is uh, I had a chance, American Tower, which was radios, and then they, mm-hmm. they spun off the radio towers and became a separate company. And that was the best of real estate and the best of, of um, tech, telecommunications because they owned the real estate, but it was up to the companies to install the tower, uh, the machines on the tower. They wow. are exploding. And the valuation had dropped to $100 million. They're now at $23 billion. So oh. <laughs> it was a huge opportunity in that sense. But the, the thing that I get excited about, and because I get excited a lot, uh, is yeah. We haven't begun to see some of the innovations that are coming out of this stuff. Uh, and the next 30 years, now, we're going to have bumps in the road and we're going to have coronaviruses and other pandemics and stuff happening because mm-hmm. we're literally compressing our lifestyle into 30 years. And so the things that are about to hit our planet and hit us, we haven't even begun. I mean, the whole biological side of things we haven't talked about. And the, the other thing that's, that people aren't talking about is this whole AI and the biggest issue that I'm seeing is that from the age of about 25 to 55, that group has been trained for jobs that really aren't going to exist in the next 10, 15 years. Now, we might be able to extend it and all the rest of the stuff, but I mean, accountants, anything dealing with math, I mean, if you've got an AI, they can do it better, faster, and more efficient, and you don't have to worry about fraud. Uh, I mean, anything dealing with legal. <laughs> That's right. I mean, no, seriously, yeah. precedent and all the rest of the stuff. You just go through and, uh, I mean, it's, and the what I say 55 is because most of the 55-year-olds, most, I mean, uh, and maybe COVID has also changed that, has already had their career, has already put some money aside and is getting ready for retirement. Um, the guys under 25, well, they're in the education period. Yeah. They can adapt and change. The people in the middle, in the accounting industry, the law industry and all that stuff, they're dead. And that's one of the things that I, so yeah, it's going to create a huge vacuum. That's why I think there's going to be a need for a, you know, universal income. Because <laughs> everything's taken over by the AI. But uh, so you mentioned money too. And, and uh, this, uh, the notion of having a, like a, a basic income. What, what do you think from the COVID crisis about 
maybe what's been happening and you maybe Philippe, you can speak from the like the the Canadian side and then who probably has some ideas from the from the global uh like all the all the different global players on um what the government responds with this uh, fiscal policy and putting money in people's hands like uh I'll tell you like our house view is that it's it's great because it keeps people living and not having to face uh, helplessness and have a sort of a looting mentality because we're going to be cooped up probably for at least 12 months or so but uh um what do you think and we're, we're of course a entirely apolitical here but uh, i just want to see what uh, what you've seen and, and how it affects small businesses well on the on the canadian side because as you know 60 percent of our economy is small business and uh if we don't get that going I don't care how much you support Ford and Boeing and stuff like that. You're mm -hmm. going to have a huge, huge problem. So I, I see the, the cards are already being set on the table for a system where you got a universal. Because people haven't even addressed it. But, you know, by closing us down and shutting down the economy, I mean, I thought this was a good thing to begin with. But I'm now talking to friends and, you know, uh, Rahul, I'd love to hear your point. But in India and other places where famine is about to explode, Oof. I mean, sort of, and, you know, and we might have starvation issues in North America, which, you know, blows my mind. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have any money, I mean, how do you pay for survival? And that's a lot, a huge percent of the population. So, I mean, we, I mean, unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm much more into the Swedish model which I don't know if you've been following, but I mean, sort of like, you know, creating a, a herd that sort of like over time builds up resistance because we can't wait for another 12 to 18 months for a vaccine. Now, that's the solution. But in the meantime, people cannot survive and companies cannot survive. And, you know, and especially small businesses and restaurants and all those places cannot survive without. It. So I'm looking at the Swedish model and, you know, yes, it's got a little bit more of a percentage of, uh, infection and stuff, but their economy is surviving. We have just basically shut it down. And I mean, for the people around this table, it's not so bad because I mean, we have space mostly, but for 98% of the population, it sucks. Hello, globally, you've been looking at, uh, actually we have a podcast or a webinar with, uh, Dr. David Fisman in uh, June. And we're going to talk specifically the, the comparing what different different geographies have done by Sweden uh, and Korea and Iceland and Canada and everything. But uh, what, what have you seen like globally? And uh, it's either on the health side or the economic side. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'd maybe uh, start by saying, I mean, when we, when we think about our outlook over the next 12 months to 18 months, I mean, it's, it's clear now that we, we are going to have a major recession uh, this year due to, the grim reality of the pandemic. Um, I mean, clearly, I think the lockdown and containment measures that we talked about across the world, I mean, they have caused quite significant economic hurt and, and financial damage, um, which obviously started in the first quarter, but we're certainly still feeling that weakness um, into the second quarter and, and it will continue. Mm. So our expectation is that GDP levels globally will decline um, in quite a meaningful way, uh, pro probably to the extent of eight to to fifteen percent. And you know, in terms of how 
we think about this from an investment um, context, we, we're planning for three different uh, scenarios, if you like, um, because it's really, it's, it's impossible really to know the extent of the damage at, at this point. So it's, uh, we, we think it's prudent and, and also, uh, you know, you need to show some humility by, um, you know, planning um, and, and constructing your portfolios uh, to be resilient in, in, in a number of different uh, scenarios. Uh, I think what's interesting is <clears throat> there could be an automatic, automatic rebound at the other mm-hmm. side of this. Uh, potentially the second half of this year, and you know, as the as we we're starting to unlock, and activities uh, move to normal, um, but but even then, if you get a a recovery, we're still going to see several months of suboptimal activity, yeah, and that will cause businesses to to go bust. So it's 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 certainly a very uh, very precarious situation. I mean, you made the um, the comment around uh, policy response, and and I think we have seen quite unprecedented monetary response, and and quite quickly, uh, both in terms of monetary um, and mm-hmm. and fiscal uh, responses. So that should certainly ease the pain of collapses in in GDP. And uh, to Philippe's point, it should provide enough support for many businesses to survive. And for people who lose their jobs to to just get through this, um, but it really is focused right now on on, on getting people through this, and and we're going to have to see uh, what further stimulus comes through to really get the the economy um, purring again. Um, you know, once once we get some some hint of stability of 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 this COVID situation. Oh, thanks. Maybe we'll do a bit of a lightning round here. We're getting toward the end of our our time, but uh, so if you were to pick somewhere, uh, start maybe with Rahul, <clears throat> that would uh, that'll just light up after this is done, uh, or at least uh, be able to show fairly quick quicker profitability. Um, I'm pretty sure that Philippe's uh, alcohol company will do well because any bar that's still around will be, be instantly full. But um, wh- where where do you guys see as the opportunities? Um, uh, maybe it's you can even choose as we go through this piece. I mean, healthcare is pretty obvious, but uh, after it, uh, well, what, what do you think is going to really just move the needle um, as we emerge from our isolation and hibernation here? I think, uh, you know, if, if you're looking at sort of beyond the short-term uncertainty, I think there are sort of other segments of the healthcare space that have quite, you know, increasingly attractive long-term outlooks, so to speak. Um, life sciences companies are the obvious ones. They're positioning themselves to to help ramp up vaccine production and create COVID testing solutions, uh, whilst also meeting the desires of pharma and biotech to outsource. I think uh, large private hospital chains obviously are cooperating with governments to meet the rising demand for critical care in both the short term and the long term. And, you know, sort of going back to uh, Philippe's uh, comment on the bionic ear and so forth, I think, you know, medical equipment and device companies are are ramping up the production of essential items as well. And looking importantly into soft, software solutions to improve the efficiency of hospital care and preparing for higher global, global demand for hospital capex in the future. And how about you, Philippe? What's your comment for as we come out of this, how, uh, which areas do you think will be um, 
we can say flourishing at this time. 100%. I think the whole health, medical, huge. Uh, others that are a little bit out of the box, but I think are going to be phenomenal. One is the private aviation side, because people are going to travel, and they have to travel, but they don't want to take commercial flights. So that's huge uh, explosion there. Um, I'm hearing it because we have an aviation company as well. Uh, we also do uh, air ambulance, and that is exploding as well, because how do you get people that are sick across the country or across continents? Mm. Uh, so that's, that's another big, big move. Um, the other thing that I see is a massive transition from you know, bricks and mortar retail to more and more online. So software, offering services online, offering more, I mean, Shopify. Shopify is now the number one company yep. in Canada. Why? I mean, Amazon is the number one company in North America. I mean, why? Alibaba. I mean, it's, this is the trend, and it's a phenomenal trend. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, we've uh, definitely got a full podcast here, and I think we'll have to get you guys back for another one uh, again sometime soon. Thanks a lot, Rahul. Thanks, Raleep. And uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. Thank you very much. Take care. Yep. Take care.